Among the people of God in the Old Testament, God gave the prophets the Holy Spirit, and the prophets very often judged the people. And the people would come to the prophets to find out what to do. In the New Testament, it's not that way at all. Now, we still have prophets in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4 says, After Jesus arose, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. The main difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is in the Old Testament, God did not give the Holy Spirit to all of the people of God. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is given to all of the people who belong to God. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and he guides us into all truth. He teaches us all things. He reminds us of everything Jesus has said, and he shows us things to come. I'm quoting from John chapter 14, verse 26, John chapter 16, verse 13. So you can read it in those passages of Scripture. In the Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law came to them in the wilderness, and he saw Moses judging this long line of people were waiting to come up to Moses to present their problems. And Moses judged between them and told them the law of God and the way of God on the subject at hand. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, This is not good. What you should do is select from among the people men who are godly men, who are not covetous or greedy, and set them up as judges, and let the people bring the matters to them, and the things that are too difficult for them to decide, let them bring it to you, and you judge the hard matters. Moses was dealing with 600,000 men in the wilderness, and this would have been a mighty job. So in the Bible, we see the story of Moses' father-in-law giving him this counsel. And Moses did this, and counsel was from God. Later in the Old Testament, God set up men and even a woman to judge his people and to show them the way to go as they lived on this present earth. Remembering they did not have the Holy Spirit like we do. The prophets were given the Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament. But the people had to come to the prophet to inquire of God. One of the judges set up by God in the Old Testament was a prophetess named Deborah. I think this is so interesting that God put this example in the Bible. Judges chapter 4. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan. 
because when you do evil, there is a penalty. And the children of Israel cried unto God for help. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapfidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. This was the way God set the government up at that point in time. I'm so glad it's not done that way today. When anyone comes to me, I usually try to turn them to God. For the way of the New Testament is for you to pray directly to God, not through me, through Jesus Christ. All of these churches that set up places where people can give them their prayer request, that troubles me greatly. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I can never know your problem to the extent that you know your problem unless God shows me that. And if hundreds of people were sending in prayer requests, I, I just couldn't deal with it. I don't think they deal with it either. These ministers, I think it's mostly fundraising gimmick to get control of you. I think it's a terrible thing. I don't do it and I've never done it. And when they try to come to me, I show them scriptures where they are to go directly to God. But in the Old Testament, God set it up another way. And they did go to the prophets to inquire of God. At one point, the people demanded a having a king to judge over them and rule over them. God didn't like that. It displeased him. He was ruling over them through the prophets. And he told Samuel, It's not you that they've rejected, Samuel. They've rejected me that I would not rule over them. They wanted a human king to rule over them like the other nations had. They'd seen the other nations with kings and they wanted a king. God gave them a king, but he warned them through Samuel the prophet. He said, tell them what their king will do to them. He will take their young men and put them in the army. He will take their young women and turn them into confectioners to bake in his kitchens. Tell him what they will do, what his, their king will do. But nevertheless, they demanded a king. So he gave them Saul. He still gave the king information. But Saul disobeyed the information that Samuel delivered to him. And because Saul disobeyed, God set up someone to replace Saul, which was David. It was not a smooth replacement. Saul fought David for years to try to kill David. The Holy Spirit that had been given to King Saul was removed from Saul and was given to David. And after the Holy Spirit was removed from Saul, Saul tried to kill David. 
they would be in a room together and he'd just pick up a javelin and throw it at David, trying to kill him. David went through many years of this before Saul died and he actually became king, although he was appointed by God as king long before Saul died. The governments of the New Testament are totally different. In the New Testament church, all of those who are born again are given the Spirit of God to live in each person. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? to guide you into all truth, to teach you all things, to remind you of everything Jesus has said to us and to show you things to come as God wills. It's not like a fortune teller seeking to know the future. It is just brought to you if you need to know it as God wills. And the New Testament church is set up from heaven. Until the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we had no New Testament church. The people lived by the Jewish laws, the law of Moses. After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, Jesus set up the New Testament church from heaven. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul was one of these New Testament apostles given to the church from heaven after Jesus arose. He wasn't like Peter. He wasn't like John. They were selected by Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. Paul was called by Jesus from heaven. Paul is like we are today. Although Peter heard from God while Jesus was walking on the earth and God revealed that Jesus was the Son of God, he revealed it directly to Peter. We see that in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus said that's what the church today would be built upon, is that word that's revealed from God directly to the individual. He says that in Matthew chapter 16, start at verse 13. He says, And the gates of hell will not prevail against that word that God brings to you from heaven. And that was the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. And that is the word that is brought down to us by God, through the Holy Spirit today. So Paul, at the time Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, Paul was persecuting the Christians. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. 
and Saul, who is Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Paul's life was changed, but there's no evidence at all that the men traveling with him, that their life was changed. But Paul's life was completely changed instantly when Jesus spoke to him. That is being born again. There are different ways that we are born again, but the same thing happens to each one of us who are born again. We are changed immediately. We're not the same person we were before. Paul is a primary example of a person who is born again. He had been capturing Christians to have them killed, and he had been consenting to their death. We read that in Acts 8, where Stephen was stoned, and Paul was consenting to the death of Stephen at the time he was stoned. Now Paul has changed completely because Jesus spoke to him. And that's what being born again is, change. I was born again when I was 37, and God said to me, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes, those were sins. And I said, oh, sins. And I know I was born again instantly. And I was completely different after that. Now, we learn things that cause us to be even more changed as we go along, but basically we're changed at the instant God speaks to us. Pam Paget has this testimony. One of her classmates was killed on a motorcycle, and all of a sudden she realized that what she had learned in the Catholic Church would not save her. Now, do you really think Pam realized that of herself? No, God opened her eyes to understand. The things you've learned in the Catholic Church won't save you. So Pam called on God immediately and asked, if there's any way you can do this, please save me. And after that, 
She realized something of God was in her. For years, she didn't know what it was. She just knew she'd been changed. That's being born again. I presented by the Holy Spirit a scripture to my mother. And after I opened the Bible and read this scripture to her, she thought about it for a few seconds, and then she said, Well, I guess we'd better not do that anymore. She was born again instantly. I got a letter from my uncle saying, Your mother's changed. She's really changed. That's being born again. It's very exciting. It's of God and not of ourselves. By the will of God, he opens our eyes so that all of a sudden we understand. We see our sin or we see Jesus as our Savior or we see something. We shouldn't do that anymore. But we are changed. And the change is by God, through God. In Acts 26, Paul is testifying before King Agrippa. And he tells him about having experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what's so interesting about Acts 26, Paul tells us even more that Jesus said to him. When Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Then verse 16, Jesus says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. And that basically describes a ministry. We tell what God has done, and then in the future he does other things, and we tell that. And we hold nothing back. We tell the church what God has done. Paul said in Acts chapter 26, Further, Jesus said to him, verse 17, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You might be born again at a church meeting. It might be at a church meeting that God opened your eyes to see. But you see, it's not that minister who does it, and it is not that church who does it. It is God who opens your understanding. It might be done at that specific moment. It might be done like with me in my bedroom. It could be done on the road as you're traveling. All of a sudden, you understand. But it's always one thing with each one of us. God opened our eyes to understand, and then God changed us. And we're no longer the person we used to be. That's the testimony each of you need to be giving if you are born again. You need to understand salvation is of God, and it is God who changed you, not yourself, not your own will. If you're born again, it was God who changed you, 
and he didn't do it because you were worthy of salvation. Most of us can tell we were not worthy, we were not trying to be saved, we were not doing good things. God changed us, and then we did what he told us, and those were good things. Salvation's God, of God. There are still prophets in the New Testament church. We read about it in the New Testament Bible. If you look at Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 21, you will read of a prophet named Agabus who came to the New Testament church. And he prophesied that there was going to be great dearth, great maybe famines, needs, problems. And the disciples who dwelt there at Antioch determined to take up an offering to send to the poor saints at Jerusalem because of the prophecy Agabus delivered, a New Testament prophet working in a New Testament church. There is an example in Acts 21 where Agabus came to the village and Paul was there. Agabus picked up the girdle that belonged to this man, Paul, and said, at Jerusalem he'll be put in bondage, the man who owns this girdle. New Testament prophets deliver messages from God to the church. Also, we see in the Bible, in Acts, the book of Acts, many workings of New Testament prophets. Paul took Silas with him on his missionary journeys. Silas was identified in Acts as a New Testament prophet. In the book of Acts, we see prophets speaking to the churches to confirm the word of God to the New Testament church. Acts 11.27 And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Acts 15, verse 40. And Paul chose Silas, a prophet, and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Acts chapter 17, verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Paul was an apostle teacher and preacher. Silas was a prophet. And they traveled together to do the work of the ministry. 1 Corinthians 14.29, when Paul is telling the churches how they are to be set up in the gathering of the church, Paul says, let the prophets speak, two or three, and let the other judge. This was part of the gathering of the church to have prophets speak. Acts chapter 13 verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And he goes on and names them. In the New Testament Bible, there are no such things as Pope, Cardinals, Archbishops, Priests, Vicars, Ministers of Music. No minister in the New Testament Bible called himself Reverend. 
They always identified themselves as an apostle of God, as an evangelist, as a teacher, as a prophet. Ministers in the New Testament Bible identified themselves in the offices to which they were called apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. They could have more than one office. Paul was an apostle teacher. Peter was an apostle elder. This is identified in the New Testament Bible. This shows us, by the way, that Peter was married and had children because the requirements for an elder is they had to be married and have children. There is a scripture where Jesus visited Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was ill and Jesus healed her. Peter was married. And we know he had children because you couldn't be an elder in the church unless you had well-behaved children who showed that they were under the control of their father then the elder had to have those children, multiple children, who showed and displayed that respect they had for their father. In the New Testament church, we have elders, bishops. The word elder and bishop are used interchangeably. They're not two separate offices. We see that in Titus chapter 1. Before we get to that, let's read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27-28. Now, ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And some of you God has set in the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, you're set there to work in the church and care for the church and do the assignment given you by God. And God hath set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. First, let's speak of elders and bishops. Titus chapter 1. Paul says to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop, must be blameless. Here we see bishop and elder being used interchangeably. For a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast, the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Deacons were also given to the New Testament church. 
1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also be first proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. There is the passage of scripture also that says, If they don't know how to take care of their children and their family, how shall they rule in the church of Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, today there are many denominations set up and they divide the body of Christ. The minute you say where you go to church, you divide yourself from someone else who goes to another church. There is only one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Division comes by denominations. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are carnal, For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? See, this is the same as one saying, I'm a Methodist, the other, I'm a Baptist. Dividing the body of Christ By their denominations, there's one Bible, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. But they divide the body of Christ by their denominations. Ephesians 4, Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. In the end time, we have the apostate churches who fall away from Scripture and set up other doctrine. Paul says this had to happen before Jesus can return. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. 
The falling away, God said to me in 1983, are not the people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures and setting up other doctrines. So Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first. Churches would fall away from specific scriptures. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When Paul spoke to the elders of the church at Ephesus, the last time he saw them, which is recorded for us in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, Paul said, For this I know, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And of your own selves, the elders, shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them, setting up the denominations, casting aside portions of Scripture, Antichrist in the church. God will destroy the Antichrist churches of the apostasy when Jesus returns. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8 And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. When Jesus comes, the first thing he does, and he does it while he's in the air, he raises the dead in Christ. They rise first, and that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The next thing that happens is he sends his angels, and with the trumpets they gather the elect of God who are still living on the earth. They will be changed into new spiritual bodies. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 50. After they are in their new spiritual bodies, they are taken to meet Jesus and the resurrected, those who have been resurrected from the dead, and they are taken to the new heaven and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. This present heaven and earth will be destroyed by God in the end time by fire. We read about that in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. The new heaven and the new earth is described by the Apostle John in Revelation 21. We'll close today by reading that. Revelation 21, verse 1, the Apostle John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, 
out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We're not going to have these physical bodies in heaven. We have our new spiritual bodies. There will be no more pain because it's these bodies that we're in right now that allows pain to come. We won't have that kind of body in heaven. Paul tells about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 50. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today.